started writing Food for the Archons as a book of despair after watching my father die in 2013. During his transition, I experienced a series of paranormal and psychic events that left me feeling that I had either gone completely crazy or fell into humanity's darkest secret. I spent the next five years conducting extensive research, and I quickly learned that what I had experienced was real. My journey brought me to an understanding that showed me that despite the terrifying reality of an unseen predator, we as humans have a forgotten power. Just knowing this brings us tremendous hope in what once seemed a dark reality. I wrote this book for me in hopes of gaining a better understanding of our reality and relationship to it, but my hope is that you will find as much value in reading it as I did in writing it. I am human, food for the Archons, humanity's psychic connections, simulated realities, parallel worlds, and the manipulation of mankind. It's available on Amazon.com and at SixthSenseMedia.net and wherever books are sold. I'm Dennis Nappy II, reminding you to let your intuition be your guide. Thank you. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. ETs, psychics, and AI. It's something we explore quite regularly here on The Secret Podcast. And tonight we have all three and all three connected into an amazing story. I have the privilege of being joined with my good friend, Daz Smith. He's a well-known remote viewer. He's part of the crypto viewing team. And he brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to the table. And fortunately, he's always willing to share the things that he has learned and uncovered. He's received training as a psychic and as a remote viewer, currently uses his talents to explore a variety of topics, ranging from the changing economy through crypto viewing to the UFO ET interactions on Earth and the human family here. When he's not exploring the realms of consciousness, Daz is conducting research, designing projects and experiments, and training future remote viewers. He has a wealth of information through his website at remoteview.com. He's archived almost everything he could find about remote viewing. I'm thankful to call him my teacher, my mentor, and my friend. Daz Smith, how are you, my friend? Good to see you. I'm fine. Yeah, it's great to be with you again. You have That's such it. an awesome, uh, just an awesome resume, dude. It's getting there. It's getting there. Um, you know, what, uh, I've seen a lot of people die over the last few years, friends and family. So I've been on this, and you know, I'm 51 myself, and my family, you know, I just have to be honest, my family just don't live that long. So I'm on this, yeah. uh, I'm on this, get as much done as, as long as I can do it pathway. Yeah, you have that motivation to just get it all out there. I'm sorry for all the losses. I know it's been a challenging year for you. Yeah. Um, you know, but you've, you've got quite a legacy behind you, Daz. You really do. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, you know. Uh, and, you know, I just love, love helping people and getting this much stuff out there. Uh, because when I started, uh, there was, you know, there was nothing. Yeah, of course, we didn't yeah. have the internet back then, of course, which helped. But. Yeah, the internet helps tremendously, and I, I got to say, man, never in my wildest dreams. I'm, I'm thankful every day that I was able to connect with you. I mean, I used to watch you, you and Dick, on uh, Farsight, and like you guys were just these superstars. And then they get to connect you, get connect with you, and get to know you, and then be trained by you. It's just been uh, quite an honor. So, well, and once again, thank you're doing you. some amazing RV work. Your last project was was outstanding work. 
That was a fun one, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. So we have some good stuff going on. And tonight we want to talk about uh, another project, one of the many projects you do. You publish a magazine called Eight Martinis. And I know we talked about this the first time I had you on the show. Um, before we get into what this is specific issue is about, and, and this issue is amazing, remoteview.com. Check it out. Find the newest Eight Martinis magazine. We're gonna, that, that's what this show is about. We're going to talk about uh, some Ingo Swan stuff. Um, and ETs on the moon and remote viewing experiences. It's an, I can't wait for this conversation. Um, but just give us the background on why it's called eight martinis. I think that's a fun little side note. Yeah, yeah there's a, I can't remember the exact quote itself. It's on the front of the magazine, but yeah, it's, it was an essentially uh, a famous Ingo Swan quote. Uh, Cause you know, he did lots, he did 20 years of work for Intel agencies. And I think he heard the, I think he heard two agents I think he was in the toilet and he was in, you know, one of those toilet stalls and he heard two agents come into the bathroom talking about this. And essentially, I think they said something along the lines of, if the remote, you know, the remote viewing is that good, we'll have to go out and have eight martinis to recover. Yeah, yeah. That's it. On the front of the cover, it says, what is an eight martini result? It's an intelligence community in-house term for remote viewing data so good, it cracks everyone's realities. So they have to go out and drink eight martinis to recover. That's it. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, Daz, have you had those moments as as a remote viewer? Yeah, I'm sure it's been I a mean, while you know, for you. You know, I, I feel that we. I mean, I feel I did pretty good odds on the recent Tic Tac one, um, mm-hmm. and you know the JFK one. You know, so yeah, um, not every time, but no. probably about I'd say twenty, thirty times, uh, which is quite good, I guess. So, but yeah. you know, when you think about how many thousands of RV sessions I've done, that's not not a huge amount of times. Well, but but think about it again. Not every that doesn't mean it's not good data. It just means it's not taking you out of your knowledge base and comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Like, and that's what's that's what's amazing about this. I mean, I've been at this game. I don't even know twenty twenty five years, if not longer now. And there's a handful of experiences where you come into information and it shatters your reality. Like the tic tac we just did. Um, the my experience with the energy has really to cause that like paradigm shift for me as I'm, as I'm thinking about, you know, the implications of it. So that would definitely be an eight martinis moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we're lucky to, to have those because uh, there are people out there that don't get to have the experiences that we do. I, you know, and I, I feel, I feel sorry for them in some degree because I, with the experiences we have and you, you know, you go through them yourself now, it's hard to share what we experience, you know, yeah. the paper, having it on paper doesn't do it it justice and i i yeah i feel real sorry for the for the people out there that miss this part of their lives really yeah there's a real value um in you know edward and i kind of touched on this uh two weeks ago when we talked um there's a difference between seeing it in a youtube video and reading it in a book and going out and experiencing it um and and it's the experience is, is not for everybody and that's okay but it's it's hard sometimes to communicate the gravity or the magnitude of what you now understand through just saying, Hey, here's what I saw and experienced and learned. You can't communicate. You just really can't express the importance of that. Yeah. It's hard. It's a hard one. And you know, the, the more RV you do, the more you realize how kind of insignificant we are, but at the same time, how, how, uh, and undervalued we, we, you know, we see ourselves as well. We're insignificant in the grand scale of the entire universe. But at the right. same time as within us all, we have like these godlike powers that people don't have the confidence or understanding to 
understanding. I, I don't know what the right word for it is. Um, but you know, you once you acknowledge you have this uh, this amazing inbuilt skill to go anywhere in time and space, and uh, mm-hmm. you can use that. It I don't know. It just opens you up on so many levels. It, it it's it's freeing. And I know my my biggest frustration point when I first started to realize this, and I think this was through my Reiki practice, was like, oh my gosh, why am I not doing this 24 seven, 365 days a year? This is such an incredible gift, such an incredible power. Yes. And it only gets better with, you know, you get better at it the more you practice it. And it's, it's yeah. so it's hard when I'm not engaged in these things because I have yeah. to pay my bills and, and psychic work doesn't always pay the bills. It's really hard, yeah. isn't it? Cause you know, between, between, between us, we're working on crypto viewing and mm-hmm. we're putting out huge amounts of content there with, with the team there. Yeah. And you know, we are also doing these side projects as well, like, you know, for Hellfire. Hellfire. And, you know, you're doing your private blog stuff and everything as well. And I'm doing mine as well. And it's great stuff. But at the same time, I think to myself, Imagine if there was funding there to set up a couple of teams of hardcore yeah. remote viewers and project managers to work on this full time for something like yeah. five years. How many of the world's ills and problems could you probably find? We, you know, with the right focus. Them? Oh my gosh, as we could. There is so much. And and you know, if you want to go conspiracy and and you know what, what's the the um the government stuff, maybe there's a reason why we're not doing that. But maybe. it gives me hope. In, in the potential we have as a society within all of us, maybe someday we can grow into a species that does use these talents we have in that way to, to better ourselves, as long as we're not replacing it with tech, which is what I think they're trying to do with AI, to replicate these yeah, abilities. Yeah, we seem to be going down that route. And literally, just before I came on with you tonight, uh, I was scanning through, through Reddit like I do looking at the news, and I found a video film, I think it was from China, showing uh, a, a new robot and it, you know it was like an android with the face and everything and it was moving around and the facial expressions it was making mm-hmm. i showed it to my wife it was just so freaky you you know other than you knew you could see metallic parts on it other than that if, if you took that away and put a silicone skin on or something you would not know it was a robot the, you know right. every micro movement of the face it was expressing and it was like Wow, we are moving on so fast. It's like yeah. we need to slow down a little bit here. Yeah, we we do. And and again, this tie this ties into my thoughts on our on our Roswell project. How this this AI was a seeded technology, um, you know. And we can we can debate the flaws on that that project all the all the time. But the thought is still there. You know, is this yeah. evolving into to connect us with something else as as the end agenda? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you can. Did you ever see my? I did a remote viewing uh, Area Fifty One. Uh, Probably, but I don't remember site. it. And yeah. at one point in the Area Fifty One, I encountered an AI that was mm-hmm. like prisoner at Area Fifty One. It was a round ball shaped thing. Um, oh wow! That was an amazing experience, uh, and I don't even know if they knew what they had. If yeah, because it didn't. It didn't feel like it. it. Felt like it was kept prisoner, but they didn't know that it was an. Super AI. intelligent AI encased in this metal kind of ball, uh, and it, uh, weirdly and coincidentally, recently I came across a, a piece of video film from I think from the eighties on the internet called the Bet Sphere Sphere, and mm-hmm. it's this round sphere that some people I think in Mexico or somewhere found on their land, and they took it home, and they used to do all these tricks, and it's all it's on video and stuff, and uh, they did an analysis of it in a lab and stuff. But anyway, this this metal sphere used to follow follow them around the house wow it's really freaky i'll see if i find a video for you and maybe you should yeah. have a look at the uh 
the uh, references in 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 the Area 51 video. But yeah, it was literally a few months after that I I, I put that online. I found this video about this that sphere, and I was thinking. And the funny thing is, the 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 sphere after it was taken away for analysis, I think by the U.S. Uh, Army or something, not mm -hmm. the Army, the Air Force or something, it then disappeared. Of course. And I was thinking, is this the same one I was looking at? But they did an X-ray of it, and you can see the X-ray, and it had two, I don't know what they call it, very strong magnetic weird things happening in, inside this sphere that they couldn't work out energy. Wow. That's amazing. And, and it reminds me, because this was, I don't think I recorded it, but like the AOL I had in my mind during the Tic Tac session of that technology was the book Sphere by, I think it was Michael Crichton that wrote right. that, if you've ever seen that book, which allowed, helped you manifest basically your reality. It, it, it was really some wacky stuff. So I'll I wonder send if you this video to look at then, because um, it's very similar. And as I said, it seems similar to something I saw at Area 51 as well. It's, it, this is where I start to think I'm going crazy with the synchronicities of things and the more projects that you do, how you see them thread together and connect seemingly unrelated things sometimes like i see yeah. that all the time in edward's work he's got these random things all over the universe and time and it's like hey, there's common threads here in, in what he's piecing together you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's, definitely it's amazing definitely a lot uh under, under the hood there that we just we just don't really even understand you know we don't understand yet you know but i'm wondering and i, I don't want to give away too much yet as we get into this but if there's some keys within this magazine you just published with future RV targets to allow us to better help ourselves to understand if we can access some tech. That's hopefully, a little teaser hopefully. for coming up. I mean, I shared some stuff with other researchers uh, mm -hmm. that do RV stuff, and I know that one of them has tasked other people to go and have a look at the same stuff that Ingo looked at. Yeah. Um, and I'm planning myself in the new year to get a team of people to do similar work and to carry Because, you know, in, in the same magazine, there's an article from Ingo Swan in... Uh, 92, 93, and, and I think the 92 one is where he, where he tried to call out for psychics at the time to come together and uh -huh. to meet the, the UFO situation by using psychic force against psychic force. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to try to do that kind of uh, research project going ahead. You know, a bit like well, the Stephen Greer contact, try to right. do something. His CE5. Um, yeah, but in a bit more of a, uh, a blind, controlled, remote mm -hmm. viewing proper scientific manner if i can well say no more to me then in case i'm lucky enough to be on that project but yeah, uh, i'm interested on board if you're interested oh I'm, I'm definitely interested yeah absolutely i mean you know we have to be a bit careful and i have to you know we have to warn uh, and vet everyone that is coming on board on something like that because we don't know what we're doing it's very exploratory so there we have yes. to be honest with the, the with the potential risk there to some degree I think there's a lot of, and maybe this is, this is better, you know, an offline conversation that I think we can continue, but yeah, there's certainly some, uh, some concerns there that I know you'll, you'll vet out quite well. Um, but you know, Ingo, he, he went through it and, you know, he even talks about aspects of it where he was afraid and that, that gave me pause. Cause I'm reading this. I'm like, Oh, this would be a great target. I'd love, and then I'm reading Ingo's quotes and he's like, yeah, I'm scared to move forward. I didn't want to do this one without a monitor because I was afraid. Yeah. And that guy, I mean, the, the talents that he had for him to be afraid, you know, it's got to be incredible. So let's, let's get into this a little bit. Um, and, and first of all, I mean, you were, you've been planning this magazine for a while and you initially wanted it to be focused on just moon stuff. And you were yeah. calling for a bunch of different types of data. And what made you decide, let's just make this some stuff coming from Ingo. What was that? Why did you decide that? 
two reasons really um I mean, I know there are there are lots of uh, moon and and uh, Mars related RV sessions out in, in you know in the in the public domain on on the circuit, um, but I couldn't get I couldn't get them coalesced into anything that hasn't been seen before in a good right. way. And then you know I was doing lots of research on on the Ingo files, and probably for the last eighteen months this story's been developing. Um, yeah, when I first. When I first found the files, you know, in Ingo's files talking about some of these projects, then I reached out to the family and, and other sources, and yeah, it's been going back and forth. So I've been literally sitting on the, uh, the Ingo Swan transcript myself for probably nearly, nearly a year or so while I've been trying to piece this together. I wanted to get more information, but however much I tried with the, the main person, the client involved, <laughs> the person who paid for Ingo to, you know, do the moon uh, RV work, He's very reluctant mm-hmm. to uh, give information forward. Um, the only good thing that's come out of this at the moment is that he saw the magazine and he did, he did email me back saying it, it was a fantastic job. He absolutely loved it. And when he's been told that he's allowed to let the information out, he will uh, let, let it out to me. So that's a that's, good thing. Yeah, that's, that's promising. Um, and, and it really it, you know, it makes me wonder why can't this information be released at this point in time? Now, I think it is being there. I, I'm pretty sure there's an agenda and, and it's mentioned in, in the magazine here uh, how there's, you know, some of this information has been coming out through things like yeah. the History Channel and Ancient Aliens. And I remember when that first came out, when Ancient Aliens came out, I was blown away. I said, why are they all of a sudden talking about this on a platform like the History Channel? Yes. You know, and yeah. it's that gradual integration for people to just be accustomed to the idea and the possibility, whether you make fun of it at this point or not. Yeah. yeah it's um, blown up in a big way, hasn't it? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know where it's going to end up. I mean, hopefully it'll end up with full disclosure and us, uh, having a bit more of a everyday kind of contact and learning from these beings, whatever they are. Yeah, it will. I mean, I, I, I'm very cautious of it because it's a scripted agenda. So I think it's still, however it's being released, I still suspect it's another system of control here. Yeah, um, quite possibly at this stage, but if uh, if it ever came out fully, you know, aliens are here, this is them kind of thing, I think at that point onwards, once the whole world has access in some way to whatever these beings are, then I think the control will be lost at that stage because how do you stop everyone else having access, you know, once, once it's all out there fully? I think it depends on what, what means a controller in place. And, and again, we're going down speculation land right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I would love to get that, uh, that acknowledgement. I think that would be wonderful. And I think that a lot, there's a lot of growth, but I also suspect there, it will come with a cost. Yeah. I mean, and, but you know, it might not be, uh, be although uh, it's a bit wrong for me to say this, it might not be beneficial for us to know anyway. There may be a hidden agenda there, because you know, we have to be honest, some of the people that claim to have gone through abduction experiences in the majority, mm-hmm. they're not, they're not that friendly in, in the experiences. You know, they are, they are taking right. bodily samples. They're taking you from your bed at night when you don't want to, they're wiping mm-hmm. your memory. Yeah. You know, that's it, that's it, not, that's not positive. You know, my, my book definitely led me to, and it wasn't necessarily ET related, but I think there's, there's all a connection here onto on our, our purpose, you know, the akin to a, a farm, um, you know, or a big harvest of, of human energy. 
Um, is that connected? Is it not? I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I do see evidence of that when you look at the abduction stuff. You look at like Carla Turner's work and the things that she was talking about and transferring of consciousness and cloning and all that crazy stuff. So we can go down that that, that dark rabbit hole. And you're right. That ooh, my cat is doing acrobats over here. Sorry, <laughs> she just jumped and missed and flipped. And anyway, um, but it, you know we. We don't know, and that knowledge may be difficult for people to swallow. Yeah. If that's the truth, that's the case. You know, yeah. I mean, we may, you know, it's so early to tell. We may be just misunderstanding the experiences. We don't think so, though, because um, you know, why? If 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 it's a positive experience, then why wipe their their memories? Well, we may misunderstand it from the standpoint of if we were to understand it from our current perspective, it would seem like a terrible thing. But maybe from a larger perspective, a larger galactic worldview, we'd understand, oh, yeah. right now we we have the perception, all right, it's our one shot through this, you know. Well, couldn't they say that? Couldn't they like, you know, we're taking we're taking your sperm and over because, you know, we're saving the universe, you know. But, but they don't mm-hmm. say anything like that, you know what I mean? Is that... Yeah, we don't, we don't know why. I mean, I, I just yeah. read, um, what's his name, Dr. Jacob's book talking about the, the hybridization. Yes. I mean, that's, I mean, that's incredible when you, when you read his work, yeah. um, is that what's happening? Are we being phased out or we, or is that how we're being upgraded? You know? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, uh, from all the stories and all the witness testimony, we have the gray ones, if they are aliens, you know, I don't like to use the word aliens cause we just don't know. No, we don't know what they are. Yeah. Yeah. So I just like to call, call them non-humans, but the mm-hmm. gray ones are, uh, are almost, you know, reported as having hardly any organs, you know, this yeah. being some kind of biogenetic robot. Yeah, like an ant. I mean, Corso uh, speculated on that in his book, and it's weird that Bill Cooper said that his when you know his story on the the EB, the extraterrestrial biological entity, he said it was almost plant like. They had a botanist come in to look at it, but are we looking at some kind of engineered android? Um, you know, with some biomaterial. Now it's interesting. I just saw an article on CNN talking about robots that have been created now and they're like single cell robots, but they can, they can replicate now. I saw that today myself. I was like, whoa. yeah, yeah. Welcome to Skynet on their own as well. It's just like, whoa, this is, we're moving fast. With. Yeah. We're moving really fast. And yeah. I think when you start to see the bigger, it's hard not to go dystopian and I'm really try to keep that balance. Yeah. It's fun to go dystopian sometimes, but you know, uh, let's let's fo- let's refocus on some, I guess, some tangible stuff here, and that's the the Eight Martinis magazine. So yeah. you've got this, you've got the access to some of these files, some of these projects that Ingo has worked on. You do a nice job, and I and I recommend anybody check it out at remoteview.com. You can find the the Eight Martinis magazine. It's the newest one. It's called uh, it's titled Penetration Beyond Limitations, based off of Ingo's um, you know book Penetration. Which if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. Even if you are completely skeptical of Ingo Swan and this particular project, because it's, I don't say controversial, but it's, it's literally out of this world. Um, it's just a great story yeah. about his encounters and explorations through psychic means to uncover uh, possibly a civilization operating on the moon and possibly here on Earth, too. Yeah. It's fascinating. So you, you give some good backstory um, on you know the, the kind of the background of remote viewing and Ingo's involvement, breaking down where the term remote viewing comes from, because we do have a lot of people out there who say, "Hey, I did some remote viewing, and here's what I saw," and it's not remote viewing as defined. You know, there's there's a there's a difference between 
I closed my eyes and I saw something at a remote distance and I went through the set of pro- protocols to do a remote viewing session. So you do a great breakdown explaining that in this magazine. It was great. So, but let's get into the nitty nitty gritties of this stuff here. Um, you know, first of all, Ingo, you know, he was involved in countless government projects. He was involved in the, in the creation I mean, CRV was Ingo's creation as he was trying to find a way to repeat getting results. Yes. Um, is he the type of guy to, to make something up? Well, you know, I, I conversed with him by uh, letters for three or four years. And then I, uh, I, I was invited to his place in New York. I, uh, I only spent a day in the end. Uh, I wish I stayed a week because he invited me to stay for the week, but I knew right. he was ill time. So I was like, I don't want to put myself on someone. I wish I was the kind of person that could. <laughs> yeah. Then I would have I got a lot more info. And um, yeah, he was the most, I have to be honest, he was the most strange, but most compelling person that I've ever met with his presence. Yeah. Um, and all my dealings with him and all my research uh, previously on him and research since, I've never seen anything where I've seen him intentionally lie or make things up in any way or exaggerate. Um, I have to be honest, uh, he's human like the rest of us, and he had his faults. And in some of the correspondence, you know, uh, like most remote viewers out there, he, you know, he did have a bit of an ego. And sometimes mm-hmm. when his ego got bruised, he did have some tantrums. That's, right. uh, that's just a part of who he is. But I never saw anything negative, really. And, you know, I spoke to a lot of his friends, and we've, you know, we've seen on the circuit a lot of his friends and his trainees all talk about Ingo with uh, good esteem. And he's never been, yeah, he's never been reported to have been a person not of perfect integrity. Um, so I can, you know, after you read the penetration book, you can only but believe what he's saying in that book. And I did ask him, you know, other people have asked him as well. And I asked him face to face. I said, look, the, you know, penetration book just looks out of this world in that it's just amazing in, you know, in the experiences. Uh, and he just leant across me and he had a cigar in his hand like he did and he just leant right forward like this and then his main words to me was how do you think I felt then going through them you know so yeah. he was definitely confirming to me that that they were real and he, none of it was uh, fiction yeah yeah uh, you know and, and you, you mentioned in the in the magazine too that other people that you spoke to that knew him say the same thing like they believe he was telling the truth yeah, with the yeah. work that he was doing Robert Knight, the uh, he's a famous uh, rock f- photographer, and he also he he did all the videoing for a uh, uh, one day to be released uh, documentary about Ingo. Uh, he spent many years going back and forth with Ingo, taking pictures and being you know a really good friend of his. And he told me in in private conversations that over a period of years, over and over and over on different times, he just kept going over the same story with Ingo, you know, asking him questions over and over to see if he could trip him up on any of it. Yeah. And he I never remember. could. He said it was the same every time, you know, and uh, he's absolutely convinced, as I am, that, that all the experiences in Goad are, are true. And, uh, you know, off camera as well, I told you that I've, I've been talking to one source that give me some tidbits of information, whereas I might hopefully one day be able to confirm uh, a witness to some of those experiences as well. Wow. That would be amazing. And I won't, yes. I won't press you on that right now but uh hopefully more to come on uh just more confirmation I, of the work that Ingo's i have done. half a witness in that at the same time Ingo was doing some of the moon work um he had a really good friend in new york uh, uh, a lady by the name of paula roberts mm-hmm. um and i've spoken to her as well she was you know she was a, a 
confident and really close friend of Inga's for a, a great number of years. And she's also a famous New York psychic as well. And in the 90s, um, she told me that, you know, late one night, for Ingo, for one, for one of his clients, she did uh, some RV sessions looking at the moon, uh, looking at stuff on the moon. Mm-hmm. And uh, strangely, uh, some, some well-suited guys picked up the remote viewing session off her at two o'clock in the morning and escorted it away. You mentioned that in the, in the, in the magazine. Does that mean, were they connected to Ingo's project or did they just show up? They were they were connected, yes, because she she did okay. the work for Ingo for for okay them. for this project, and they just she yeah they said it was real dramatic the way they came to get the uh, yes you know that time in the morning it was that important they had to have it at two o'clock in the morning and yeah you know for for remote viewers um, people who are, are practicing and honing their craft as remote viewers um, I, I recommend reading this magazine especially the first section before we get into the moons and the ET stuff just hearing some of the quotes that Ingo said he said something that really caught my attention. Um, about there's there's he believes or he was getting ready to experiment or figure out there's ways to to streamline the remote viewing process to enhance remote viewing to get quicker data as opposed to the amount of time it takes to get into state i thought that was a very curious statement that he made and i'm wondering okay what else can we do to connect to the signal line beyond what we're doing now because it's a little bit labor intensive um it with is, the process yeah. now and you know uh before I did, before I found remote viewing, um, I spent uh, probably a decade or more mm-hmm. doing what we call uh, channeled kind of techniques, you know, classical right. psychic work. And it's a bit like what we call ERV, uh, extended remote viewing, where you're almost in a half asleep state mm-hmm. and you're you're having the kind of information transfer. And doing that, we, ha- you know, myself and a group of eight people, less sometimes, but more sometimes as well. We we used to get great results going out in the uh, into the universe in general, just having conversations with non-human entities and stuff, and stuff that you're told there in doing that kind of thing is just mind blowing. So so classical techniques work just as well, maybe even, but they might be be even better for doing this kind of communication with uh, non-humans. You know, it's it's rare to hear remote viewers say that. <laughs> so that there might be a better technique beyond remote viewing for getting psychic data. Remote viewing is um, not the best thing for everything. It's uh, no. very good for getting data that you want to confirm uh, mm-hmm. by feedback. Right. Um, but it's very, you know, we have to be honest, because we're all using a method that kind of derives from the SRI, Ingo, military way of doing things. It is very stiff and formal. Mm-hmm. And unless you spend time uh, adapting a method like CRV uh, for operational uses, um, it's not very good out of the box for operational use. Yeah. Yeah. For things like direct communication and yeah. gathering. And it's interesting because as I was reading some of his encounters, I'm going, I'm, I'm reading the transcripts and it's going, wow, he's having a dialogue, but that's not really within the protocols of RV to house a dialogue. But it reminded me of Bob Monroe's. If you listen to the old Monroe tapes, yeah. when they first started channeling or some of the Dolores Cannon work, um, you know, how they're channeling and connecting with these non-human entities and gathering information. It's fascinating stories that we're getting back. Yeah, he was writing it at the same time. Um, right, yeah. He, he was staying within the structure, but the way yes. the dialogue sounds, it's like, wow, yes. this, it was pretty neat to, to read that. Absolutely, yes, yes. Um, but I so, just yeah. wish we had the rest of it as well. I know the, you know, there, there, are, there are audio tapes, the, the notes, uh, all the papers, but they were, you know, after Ingo died, um, his niece told me, you know, the, the Richard Butler and the client came along and because he essentially paid for work and owned it, he took all that away of him. Yeah. 
Wow, and held on to it, huh? Yes. Um, one day we might get the audio tapes of that. Uh, yeah. I'm speaking to some people now that uh, are talking to the estate or family of Bob Durant, who also passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the audio tapes may be available that at some point in the future, which would be amazing you know, to hear their voices and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Not that'd be really that. neat. Yeah. So Ingo, in the book Penetration, you know, just a, a very, very brief summary. He was tasked by an unknown organization. They picked him up. They took him where to Alaska, right? Um, he, he, or felt it was a, he couldn't he prove it. He felt it was Alaska. He, he felt it I mean, was it was Alaska. like a whole hooded in the, in the car experience. We're taking yes. you somewhere. And so he didn't know where he went to work this project. And he ends up on the moon and he ends up encountering entities on the moon. Yes. So this magazine was Ingo's, I guess, response to that going, I can't forget about what I just went through. I need to explore this further and see what the hell's out there. Yes. So yeah. where we pick up in this magazine here, is, you know, I guess the early attempts of Ingo going back now. Yes, yes. Because he started, you know, when he, when the, when he had these, uh, what shall I call them, uh, participation with this intelligence agency of some kind, mm-hmm. that, that was in the mid-70s onwards. Right. You know, so there was lots of uh, going to the moon stuff then. And, you know, the, the famous case, as, as we discussed, where he was hood, hooded and taken to a place where he felt was Alaska, where mm-hmm. he was actually taken to a remote location by a lake and he, he saw a UFO, an actual physical UFO materialize. Um, so there, there was that as well. But all that was generally in the 70s. And then in the, in the 80s, he did the occasional project looking at Mars. Uh, and we know four of those projects now that, that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tom McNair worked on one of them. And he recently gave a, a really amazing uh, hour talk on that at uh, the IRVA 2021 conference. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, uh, I've got the RV sessions on it with Tom McNear was a remote viewer, uh, Ingo and uh, several others. And the most amazing thing about that is uh, all the remote viewers in the RV sessions and Tom McNear's sketches are amazing, are detailing these uh, pyramid structures on Mars. Mm-hmm. Tom McNear actually details the inside of it of all the uh, subdivision rooms and the rooms going underground and everything. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. That's to be able to get that detail is incredible too. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's um, interesting because um, I've done uh, I must have done six or seven different forays to Mars for different people, including Farsight. Mm-hmm. And the sketches that he did of pyramids uh, exactly mirror the sketches I did of pyramids on Mars, and so I sent those to to Tom as well to say, hey, look, there are other people that have seen this as well. Yeah, that's neat feedback too when you get that corroborating yes. data. Yes. I, and I wonder if. By you sending that, if that also kind of adds to that division of work, you know, over a long term, you're tapping into that data point. Possibly, yeah. You know. time, you know, and that's one of the things we need to ask ourselves as a right viewer is, uh, are we sending ourselves stuff from the future back to the past? Because, you know, time doesn't exist to remote viewing. It, it doesn't. And, I, you know, I, I did a personal project that I shared some of it on my, on my channel, just looking really for, I was like, how else can I use this? I was going through some stuff, just asking for some advice and some feedback. Um, from my future consciousness at a time when it could give me advice. And I got stuff and then a sequence of events happened over the next month that was highly relevant. It was like markers in time as I was going through all these things. Um, Really weird things that wouldn't be normal to happen to me were just showing up. And that was all the little sketches I did and stuff. So yeah, time I think flows very differently than than we're accustomed to. 
definitely some very strange things happen with what we're doing. Uh, and, you know, I've talked about this in a few talks over the last six months. I do think there's this, uh, what can I call it, intelligence behind not just remote viewing, but behind everything. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've found that, the, yeah, there's definitely some kind of intelligence behind the entire RV process. I don't want to call it God or anything like that, but there's something there. Uh, and at the points where many of us think we've, you know, we've got something, we're on the right path, we've nailed something, we've got this new technique or found a way to make money or something, it's then on the very next time it's completely flipped on its head. Yeah. And you can almost, you can almost hear this silent entity in the background laughing at you, you know, and I call it the trickster effect. Uh, there yeah. definitely is something happening there uh, that, that definitely has an intelligence to it. Well, and the other side of that is the synchronicities that lead you to that point, or sometimes yes. just the data dumps. And and hearing Ingo, as we go into this, describe how he was getting information, um, I, I like I read that and I can relate to that so, to some level, not through remote viewing, just sometimes you just get this info and it's so much and you can't process it all right away. I, I you know, I say it's the equivalent of you know, my processor isn't fast enough to process all the data that comes into us sometimes psychically when we're getting it. It takes a while to unpack it. It's like a zip file almost. Yeah. And yeah. and hear him describing that. And, and he, this was in 1999. He, he referenced the Matrix movie too, which was a pretty yeah. neat reference yeah. coming from Ingo. That was like, all right, that's the nod right there. You know? Yeah. So he, he goes back, he goes back to the moon in, in a monitored session. Yes. Um, now he was invited. He said he was invited back there. Yes, correct. Can you talk on who invited him? Yeah, I don't have a huge amount of information on it. Uh, he called it the the Doma, uh, which stand, is short for Daughters of Ma. Um, and I did a little bit of research on it, and the person that paid Ingo to do the RV session also sent me some details on it. And he claims it's a, a race of extraterrestrial, almost godlike women that we have uh, adored and celebrated over many centuries. That are uh, moving or transgressing, yeah, moving high. Oh, I don't know what the word is. Yeah, they're moving through the universe anyway, and they essentially is almost like they're godlike and they're controlling everything that's happening. Um, other than that, there's not really a lot of to go on. To be honest, there's there's a very old 1990s website which I linked to in the magazine where you can get quite a bit more philosophical kind of writings about the daughters of Ma. Um, but there's nothing solid. And I never heard it mentioned anywhere other than Ingo's files and from, uh, yeah, from Richard Butler, their source. Huh. Yeah. You know, it almost reminds me of uh, like the Gnostic reference to like Sophia or or the Aeons. I mean, yeah, I think we see, I think to be honest, there are references to it under different names in different philosophies and religions and mm-hmm. ancient writings and, and, and ancient knowledge. Um, but I think they go under different names there. Yeah, I mean, this is just, this is one of those sto- moments. It's like the that that clip where Han Solo is saying, you know, the stories are real. I mean, I'm kind of feeling that right now. The Force, it's all true. I'd love to play that clip right now. <laughs> when you start when you start hearing this, and then, and I guess you and I have the lens of like we understand remote viewing data, and we understand that there's valid data that is gained from remote viewing. I mean, there's noise in there, obviously, um, you know, but to know that it's possible that this stuff is actually real or elements of it. I mean, that's an amazing thing to, to, to try to sit and process that. I know. Yeah. And, you know, and and, and as we discussed with all the revelations that are coming out, 
all the knowledge we really have and that we kind of trying to piece together, you know, through many different sources about our ancient kind of, you know, how things happened, how we came about, you know, tells of Atlantis, the biblical flood, everything like that. Right. It all seems to fit in. And, you know, especially, you know, with all our knowledge of the stars in the ancient writings and scriptures and cave paintings, it all seems to fit in with this, this story of this, of this migration of this, uh, I don't, as I said, I don't like to call them aliens, non-human entities yeah. uh, that are interacting with us in, in, in our universe. I, I think that's, I, I got to echo that. You know, I think it's great that you're drawing attention to saying, hey, no, let's not call them aliens. Willie Strieber does that too. He says, I, I don't know what they are. You know, they could be anything. Yeah. I, um, mean, I think we're probably more alien than them because it seems like they've been here hundreds of thousands or millions of years. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point, you know, or, or are we their creation or are we an aspect of them? Yeah, absolutely. You well, know. you know, from, from the writings, from stitching, from everything out there, even religious texts like the Bible and everything like that, they can all be interpreted, I would say, along the lines of we are their creation in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mayan, the Mesoamerican texts have it, the, you know, the Gnostic texts, they, they clearly describe it. So it's all there. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. beyond just stories, I think. I think that that's kind of what it's evolved into at this point. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've probably just lost certain parts of our, our history that goes back tens of thousands of years on this planet. Um, yeah. Under different scenarios, uh, we don't, you know, and to be honest, you know, if you look at all the ancient texts, it does look like there may have been several what they call wars in heaven kind mm -hmm. of situations. So there might be more than one uh, race of, entities out there that you know have problems with each other and stuff we have to get that consideration as well yeah yeah it's hard i mean it's probably just as complicated as as our i mean as above so below Absolutely, right yeah i mean the politics on earth are are horrendous can you imagine mm -hmm. what it would be like in, in a universe of life politics of that it, it, yeah i'm sure you know i can't say i'm sure but i would imagine it, it's as much of a disaster as, as we have here absolutely yeah, yeah. um you know, because if if we're experiencing this conflict, then obviously the leadership uh, above us that we're not aware of, yeah. you know, isn't fixing it. So it must be somewhat normal. It's the same universe, word, isn't it? Uh, as above, so below. As right, that's just it. As above, so below. Yeah. So Ingo goes back. He was invited by the Doma. Now, when you say he was invited, though, let me let me get back to that here. How was he invited? Did he get a psychic phone call or? I believe uh, Richard Butler, uh, and, you know, he's a bit of an elusive character. All I can tell you on him is there are some writings about him uh, because he was, uh, I think, head of MUFON or something um, mm -hmm. in New Jersey area. And he oh, also did, he, yeah, he also did a lot of research on a famous New York Brooklyn Bridge abduction case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I found some writings or some indications that he may have been a past abductee himself. Okay. And I think the invite came from maybe something he was doing with Doma. Um, yes, but, you know, the details on this are all, you know, fragments. Fragment, we're trying to piece them together. Really. We know there together. are a lot out there missing. Hopefully one yeah. day we will track them down. Incredible. And, and, and Ingo, I'll get to it later, but he talks about how... Um, he thinks that Richard had one of those big data dumps in his mind that he was slowly trying to unpack as well, which is pretty neat. Very possible, yeah. When you yeah. get in, when you get into it, um, so Ingo goes back and he, you know, it, it's neat watching him work through this process of trying to navigate and communicate. I mean, he, he encountered 
some entities, human entities, not earth human, but human entities. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's probably... (coughs) Sorry about this a minute. Um, It's probably worthwhile saying that we talk about him going back to the moon because... I mean, this is probably his third time going back because he went there in the in the seventies for the mm-hmm. Intel Agency and he had a look at bases and structures, all that kind of stuff. And then, as part of this process of uh, stuff in the nineties, he did some previous work with his niece Ellie, where he went to the moon, and I don't think he had an invite that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was when he got kicked off by this this certain telepath that kicked him out and said, "Get out of here." And what well, did he say? Get out of here, or he? He pushed him out. Yeah, he just boot, boot, essentially mind in you know, using his mind, boot, booted him off off the moon in in some way. Yeah. And what's neat about this guy, and, and he goes into detail because he 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 found him again, right? Yes. So this return trip, he goes back because he's invited with the express aim, and you know you'll see that you that people can read that in the, in the transcript of getting you know he wants to talk to that uh, that strong telepath person that booted him off the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And and this guy has a plate in his head, some kind of plate stick. It's sti- I guess it's sticking out of his head. I'm- yeah, that's the description. Um, yeah, a plate in his head. And he said they all have plates in their head, but mm-hmm. depending on their role, when there were what he called offensive uh, telepaths, mm-hmm. there were defensive telepaths, and they depending on their role, they had a different colored kind of metallic plate uh, in their right. head. And I think if I remember correctly, he said that they were they were bearded as well. Well, no, he said he said some had beards, some didn't. He said that you know they, they had a variety of facial hairs. Yeah. Um, it, but what was interesting about it, the the offense and defense stuff, which we'll get into in a minute. But it, it was it's a military operation, is what he was saying. Yes. Yes. It's almost like what I guess you would call a forward operating base. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fob. Fob. Yeah. Um, and and it, it, so many questions come to mind with that, and, and Ingo was even saying, and he says, well. Who were they defending themselves from and protecting themselves from? It's certainly not mankind, not as we know us anyway. No, no. You know, yeah, so it, it what else leave, is out there? The whole transcript does leave some really big questions, really. You know, why? Because he talks about a 40,000 year migration through the galaxy as well. Yeah. And it's like, okay, why are they migrating um, from from where and where are they going? Yeah. You know, why do they need a op- uh, forward operating base on the dark side of the moon? And he said they had the. You know, it's quite in, in, uh, interesting because he talks about while he had to wait for the telepath to, to come to the meeting, uh, he had to be transferred from one side of the moon to the other in some way. Yeah. So they obviously yeah. got bases on both sides of the moon, but I think he was indicating that the telepaths in their defensive capacity were on the dark side of the moon. I think the offensive, the defense people were on the light side, right? He ended up on the light side where he started out, and that's where he okay. found it was like 20 what they refer to as cadets yes. that were sleeping. Uh, and it was, I mean, and what he, the word he used, he says the, some of them run the program of defense. Like it was almost taught, like the data he was getting using the word program, almost like there was some AI component to that. Yes. Yes. They Which all run a different really, program. You, that's how we would do it nowadays, wouldn't we? We would have people plugged into, the machines and as he said you know right. if they got if they got a warning or something it would flash up on these big computer screens that it was scattered around but these warnings were psychically 
intercepted. That that's how they were doing it. They they had this yes. team, you know, and we we've talked previously, you know, in different things about like RV blocking and 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 things and shielding. That's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. But yeah. you know, according to Ingo, these people, you know, their job is basically lunar defense of anything coming in to yes. be notified of it so then they can address it. And then this other guy, he said it was the equivalent of like special forces, the guy with the other yeah. plate that kicked him out. And he had the ability to, to move Ingo's consciousness away and like offensively. Yeah. And he could also, he, I think Ingo mentioned he could also change his form and shape as well. He was a yeah. shapeshifter. shapeshifter. Yeah. 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 And he said that had something to do with the way he materialized and all this stuff sounds completely insane. Um, and, and, but that's why, again, before anybody who's new to this casts judgment, I'd say do, you know, your due diligence and in looking into yeah. who Ingo was, the work that he put out, the agencies who believed in the work that he was doing for him to then tell a story like this. I don't yeah. know that he'd want to soil his legacy. I mean, that's a risky thing when you start talking about ETs and stuff. Yeah, I do. I mean, uh, to add to that point you just made as well, and I'm looking into this as well. Um in the 90s, Ingo did some uh, RV work with uh, a scientist called uh, Dr. Michael Persinger. Mm-hmm. And essentially, uh, they, um, Persinger invented this thing called the God Helmet. So it was like a squid-like device that sits on your head with all cables right. connected to it. And it did all these uh, imaging of the brain in different frequencies and using different technologies. Um, and Ingo went through several experiments with uh, Dr. Persinger where he uh he did lots of fake rv and real rv and they measured the brain waves for fake and real rv so they had a baseline so they knew what the brain waves looked like if the rv was not real if it was imagination mm-hmm. and they knew what it was like when he was doing real stuff and they also did the same thing for near and far so they knew how to determine just from the brain waves that were recorded by ingo if he was rving far away or if he was re- remote viewing near Wow. And I haven't seen the results on this, but I've been told the results apparently show because they actually did this on Ingo as well when he did some moon stuff just to clarify it that it was absolutely confirmed that it wasn't imaginatory and absolutely confirmed that he was removing far away as well. Wow, that's incredible. That's a really neat way to to look at this too. Another you know to pull that kind of data just yeah, to get that's credibility. Hard, that's hard, you know, scientific data. I haven't seen it. Right. Uh, and Dr. Persinger uh, passed away, I believe, in 2018. So I'm looking into that now. I have all this extra information to see where his files are, see if they may be accessible to all this. I mean, I did have a conversation with him after Ingo died, we had a conversation about his experiments, and he did tell me that about the brainwaves that they recorded. And he also said that uh, they, could re- they could play back the recording of Ingo's brainwaves to another person doing RV experiments, and that person's RV experiments would be way better because Ingo's brainwaves were interfacing. That's amazing. That that comes down to, I mean, what he was talking about, what he engaged on the moon, all these guys seemed to be asleep. And he says there was a frequency, there was a hum there, some kind of frequency that enhanced yes, what yes. they were doing. And that ties kind of in the Bob Monroe's work with Hemisync, I think, putting yeah. your brainwaves in a certain manner. Imagine getting your hands on that frequency. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we could make that into an audio tape and everyone listens to that when you're doing your RV session. I'm sure someone has it somewhere. The, yeah, as I said, this stuff must be somewhere. I'm starting to, as another route of looking at stuff, I'm starting to try to investigate where uh, and if any of that stuff still exists to this day, because that would be amazing to... Uh, That'd be neat that. to have. Of course, you know, you have to think about ethical use of it and all that kind of stuff, but... Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's obviously can be used for nefarious purposes. Um, so you yeah. have to be mindful of that. You know, I, again, it's like the, it, it might be another route there for confirmation on all this as well. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. Wow, that's amazing. Um, but it, it is like the gift of fire, man. What are what are they gonna What are you gonna do with it? You know, absolutely. Yeah, you have to think about the ethical implications. Maybe using someone's a deceased person's brainwave uh, patterns. I think. That's another piece I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mass producing it for people. Yes. yes. You know, wow. So he, he encounters these people. He starts getting information and they're, they're scrambling and he's going, well, at least I was invited this time. So nobody's kicking them out. Yes. Um, but they're trying to answer some of his questions. He's trying to figure out what am I doing? And they eventually send them to, they tell him when you come back next time, go to a library. And, and he's like, well, a library, what are you talking about? It was like the equivalent of whatever a library was. It wasn't a place with a bunch of books, but it was their data set for storing knowledge and information. So he, he goes back on, in a later session. He does. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what does he encounter when he gets there? Uh, it's slightly hard to tell. I think, it, I think he's trying to describe a, it looks to be like a, a craft, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's embedded in, yeah. in a crater, uh, half embedded. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded like a craft part because he said it could, it could, the whole thing could pick up and move. Yeah, it's very interesting because, you know, myself and, and I know other remote viewers have done several projects for uh, certain people on the internet. And I, I even have three of the, the, I did three targets of the exact same object that's yeah. embedded in the surface of the moon. It's on my website. Um, so it seems very similar to that, that kind of target that I've and other people have been sent to look at before which was on the edge of a that's, crater that's interesting because we we did a podcast on that reviewing all of your sessions where we got so i'll i'll, try, I'll find that i think it's yeah. called Daz smith and the moon so i'll link that into the show notes for this one I'm here it's six cents one, media but it's very right but it's, it's it'd be good to compare that now yeah you know this, what's that yes. two years ago we did that now looking at this data too yeah um just to see if there's similarities but he finds this it's this craft but it's this yeah it's like a hall of records, really. I mean, well, it's yeah. a database. I don't, what, what's he do when he gets there, Des? Uh, well, he, he finally gets inside of this. Uh, I mean, uh, can we actually say he's getting inside of it? I guess you can't even know it's not physical or he's not there physically. It's very strange. He said it opened up, though. He felt yeah, that it was yeah. scanning him and almost testing him first. Yes. But it's, it's strange to think that, you know, you're there in a non-physical way and then you're having this interaction non-physically with a physical thing. And but the same and but he said he gave the same indication when he was there talking to the physical beings, the woman and to the, you know, the the person. And he said, I don't know if everybody can see me, but they're still talking about me as if I'm here. Yeah. Um, So I think they're just operating on that level of, hey, people, you know, intelligence is coming all, I guess, forms, physical, non-physical better eyesight than us you know we know that we don't see you know infrared or you know we don't see 97 percent of the light spectrum or something it's it's more than that that we don't see yeah it's it's a lot yeah yeah i mean i think we only see less than one percent is what we can perceive yeah maybe they have you know just an enhanced just lucky enough to have an enhanced uh, you know eye and cone system yeah that's possible too so so he's inside this kind of craft and uh you know after some I think stops and starts. He essentially has a an interface with this yeah. library, which he, he kind of describes as just like uh, being in the film Matrix, where they plug into the Matrix and they get uh-huh. a huge dump of data super fast right. as a learning experience. But I think his was 
too much data too fast. It was. It was too much for him. It exhausted him. And he couldn't, it took him a while to unpack it. And this is where you see the skill of, of Ingo coming into play too. Uh, and a side note, the person that told him to go to this library told him, yes, you go in there and you connect with this and then you can answer your questions. Um, but yeah, he, he started getting it. He says, I'm getting so many AOLs. And for those that aren't familiar with remote viewing, that, that's like a, you know, what it would remind you of because your conscious mind is yes. trying to, yeah. to, to rectify the data. And he was trying to just stick with the raw data and not the AOLs, which could be imagination or, or it could be a metaphor. Yep. Um, yeah. But he got this huge data dump. But the thing, what were, the, what were his takeaways? He had a couple of big takeaways when he uh, asked what was going on. I honestly can't remember now, to be honest. They, that's okay. Uh, I know it's been a while and you've got so yeah, many projects uh, you going know, on. I'm so engrossed. In, it's, it's almost like I'm, I've, I've done that now. I'm, I'm moving on to this other stuff I'm trying to track down. Yeah. And that takes my entire attention on what I'm trying to do with it. it. Well, it's like you've got those giant data dumps as well. Um, but they they were saying something like uh, it, they've been. It talked about where this culture came from. It's, their star system was destroyed. And they came here thirty thousand years ago. Um, you know, and, and he didn't quite get much more than that. But then he was really hung up on what is this machine. Uh, and and what can we do with it? He wanted to go back. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, for all we know, he did. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like he did, and we just don't have that data yet. Yeah, we don't have access to the files because they were they were taken away by the client, which is you know really really kind of frustrating to get half the story. Very frustrating. And you know, uh, earlier on as well, in in that whole transcript, he details that they you know the the, uh, the telepath he was talking to came from uh, a mothership. And there, I yes. think he mentions, is it 12 of them or, more, or Pl- something? Platoon like of 20. Uh, on the mothership. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, okay, I want more diesel on the mothership. How big is it? Where is it? There's a lot of things that, you know, yeah. I think are warrant being explored further uh, on but, something but like that. I don't know if you know this, though, but on the article itself, and you should probably go back and have a look at this as well. I'm just having a look at what page is on. Um, it's on page 27 at the beginning of the transcript. There's a graphic there at the top, and that graphic came from Ingo's website. And uh, his niece uh, asked me to put it there with the article. Um, and it's called the MS-15 graphic, and it's essentially a sketch of our local solar system. Uh-huh. Uh, but right at the end there, there's an object called MS-15. And no one ever cracked it, but essentially, I know from talking to Ingo's webmaster that it was a, it was a hint in a puzzle put online and they were hoping that someone would do the RV sessions of what MS-15 was at some point, send it to Ingo through the website, and if they got it right, then he would release the information on it. But uh, that's, that's oh, wow. something to do with, a, I think, a mothership. Uh, or uh, I, I don't know. If, is, it, is it the sun? I think it might be the sun. A mothership orbit in the sun? Well, yeah, that would be the sun, because then we have the X, which would be Earth, uh, and then I see the asteroid belt. So, yeah, I guess that's the sun. Yeah. Wow. That's really there cool. is a secret there, and there was something to do with a membership in that. That's why the graphics in there because it's got a membership there, and you know these these entities said they came on a membership. That's amazing. That's really amazing. So yeah, there's a little hidden thing there, and maybe one day we'll get more information on that. I have asked the webmaster several times, um, but he hasn't gone much further with it than what I've just told you, really. Yeah. Just, just a little bit they're going to give us. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's frustrating because there must be, you know, and the biggest frustration I have is I didn't know all this 
when I was conversing with Ingo so that I could have pulled more off of Ingo himself. It's, it's asked only, the questions. Yeah, it's only since going through the files after Ingo passed and meeting some of the friends and colleagues that I find this stuff and we're trying to piece it together. You know, it's very fragmentary. But hopefully, you know, over 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 time, give it time, we we might get a bigger picture on all this. We might, and and but at that point in your journey, you weren't ready for that information anyway. I suspect as yeah, you know what I mean. Like we, we need to go through these trials to be ready to receive that kind of information. I mean, it even said the machine scanned him before he was able to access it. You know, so I wonder if it's seeing like, are you worthy? Are you experienced enough to process and deal with this information? Yeah. It's very you true, know? actually. Yeah, I think. The release of this, you know, me finding the files in the University of West Georgia archives, asking his family, getting to know his family and us having yeah. a good trustful relationship, and then her passing this on to me, is is it the right time um, when you look at the entire atmosphere of everything else mm-hmm. that's going on with the disclosure project and stuff? It feels, it feels coincidentally the right time because everyone right. at the moment is talking about you uaps now or ufos uaps right but not only that the big words at the moment is everyone's talking about how there's the the uaps had this psychic uh and conscious kind of connection with with us and so yeah it seems to be perfect right now yeah the timing which i think makes it suspect you know it's it's not a coincidence that these things are are coming out at this point you know and he said something else that was uh, even more curious this machine he was considering this a communication, two-way communication. He was able to ask it questions, and it was able to ask him questions, and they were exchanged information. Yeah. And it asked if he wanted to in, to activate his own, what is it, locator library or library locator. It asked him if he wanted to activate something within himself that he suspected. Well, I can't find the quote now. Um, but he suspected if he activated it, it would allow him to quicker process the data that he was getting to interface. And he says, I suspect everyone on the planet, all humans have this just inactive yeah. ability to connect with these kind of databases. And that makes sense as well, uh, because, you know, I've seen a lot of Ingo's other files and I, I think I got reference to some of it in, in these articles here. Um, but in some of Ingo's 1990s research onwards, he says that, he, you know, I found a new, better way of doing remote viewing and he said it's not to put the bad way not the bad way the older way to shame and say it doesn't work it's just i found a new newer better uh, approach at, at doing this and getting better cleaner information i think that's important to know because I, I know there's a lot of purists in the remote viewing community and that's fine i mean i think it's important to preserve you know some of these traditions um but it, it's i mean you know, you, I think, I guess I think like you, it's a mental martial art. We're constantly refining our skill. Yes. Uh, and that's what Ingo was doing. It was brand new for him. So Absolutely. he was, yeah. you know, he found something. I mean, he hinted at it here and in, 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 there's, I can't find the quote, but it's, it's in there. I swear it's in there where he says, yeah. you know, he suspects there's a way to enhance the process and make it better. And I'm guessing he found it. Um, he was, uh, I've, you know, as, as I said here just now, I looked for his files and on some of the projects he did, he did a four-year project on what we call analytics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did a four-year project where he was trying to find the best way to get what uh, a problem in remote viewing, which is numbers, letters, words, and right. flat pictures. Uh, he spent four years doing that. And you can, you know, I've seen his work on it and it is tens of thousands of trials over four years. You know, he was, he yeah. was a machine when it came to doing this. He was doing it over and over and over, and each time refining it, 
analyzing what he got, trying to do it the better. Yeah. Time. And, you know, in, in, and I have to be honest, uh, he wrote all these reports and communications on this analytic project to uh, Ed, Edward May, you know, head of SRI mm-hmm. at the time. None of this stuff's been published yet. I've read through it four times. And every time I read through it, it just like goes straight over my head because some of the stuff in it is so revolutionary and so amazing. Right. Uh, I, I just can't. You can't take process it, all. it yet. I can't yeah. process it and take it all in. But it's some of the best remote viewing revelations and work and um, exp- exploratory new approaches and ideas that he comes up with. Um, but again, it's stuff that's never, never yet been seen in public yet. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, of some of the work that Edward does. And he's always saying, you know, first you learn how to remote view and then you learn how you remote view, yeah. you know, refining your process. And I, I, hopefully, you know, this is preserved for, from Ingo's standpoint. His work is preserved and, and eventually released to at least the, the class of viewers out there who are interested in, in furthering this. A, a, a good percentage, I probably would say, uh, probably something like about 25 to 35% of it that was sent to the archives. Is on is online digitally at the moment that people can access. That's great. I I can give you the link to that and you can add it to the uh, the notes if you want. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, send that my way. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, so Daz, I, you know, wonderful project here. Um, anything we're missing? I think we covered most of the high points. For everything else, I, I'd recommend check it out at remoteview.com. Uh, remote viewed as in the past tense. dot com, and and you can find eight martinis. Um, you know, well worth spending the time. Whether you're a remote viewer or UFO researcher or just somebody who's curious and wants to read a good story, um, it, it's well worth your time investment to look into this. And especially as a remote viewer, I, I gained a lot from the beginning half in looking at this. It was really neat to read that. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So great, great project. That. Any final thoughts on this? No. Uh, other than it's a, it's an unfolding story, really. Um, yeah. Each day I'm getting little bits more information. As uh, as I said, you know, I'm on the track of a potential uh, witness that witnessed some of these events. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't got the name, but if I can ever track that down and get them to come forward, then that would be some amazing validation. I'm yeah. talking some, to some other people that were kind of on the fringe involved in some other projects, which I'm trying to get more information on, you know, and I don't mind talking about it a little bit, but one of them is a project where uh, Ingo actually... Uh, it looks like he went to Egypt and he did some kind of remote viewing uh, for uh, for and on the Sphinx and Great Pyramid of Egypt. And that hasn't been in public either. Wow. And that might come out. You might have that coming out. Uh, I haven't been able to try. I know it's been done and I now track down the years and some of the people involved is just trying to take it that stage further and find out where the files are. I have some of the information. I don't have all of it right now. Yeah. And I, I think that points, I mean, what Ingo got from this session that you shared in in the magazine, you know, is that there's been a, a species that's been interacting with our planet for 30,000 years. And I, I wonder if that project looking at the pyramids and what could be contained, it's the, oh, sorry, a bug just flew over my head as I'm saying that. Um, <laughs> weird timing of things. Um, is Edgar Casey's Hall of Records, right? Yes. Um, yeah which they say holds information to Atlantis and, and the lost civilization. Yeah. Everything. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which could, which we're getting, we're getting pieces of it. I mean, I just go back to the UAP or the, uh, the Nimitz project. We just did the Tic Tac yeah. and we had, we, that wasn't the tasking, but we had elements of it, yeah. of an older civilization here. Yeah. Um, 
So I, mean, I wonder be, if that's could it be that space that they found in in the Great Pyramid that we haven't explored yet? That's highly possible. I, I mean, I I would love to see them find that and and hear what is contained within it and what we can learn about ourselves and, and our real history. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's it, it. The more we learn, the more science fiction it sounds. Yes. You know, yeah. so it's, it's a crazy exciting, world, but but fun at the same time. It is. And that's, you know, I was saying this, you know, I was exploring this idea on another podcast, you know, it's the mystery. It's the not knowing that makes this, makes this exciting, uh, you know? Yeah. I think it would be an incredibly boring world if we did know everything. I, I completely agree. And, you know, and that helps me through my times of frustration. Like, why can't we know this? Why don't, you know, I enjoy, there's so much growth that comes from the, just asking the question, why, Absolutely. where, what happened? What's the truth? Half the growth yeah. for most of us is is the journey, not the not the end goal, yeah. not the destination. No, because once you get to the destination, you're like, all right, that was cool, but then we're like, okay, what's next? It's the same with I tell this, you know, to, uh, I may have said it to you, but I tell this to people who've been reviewing as well. It's not about hitting the targets. You don't learn yeah. anything from nading a target. You you have your best lessons. You learn the most from the targets that you miss, and you look back on and you say, why did I miss? Where did I go wrong? How yeah. did that happen? Yeah. And it keeps, it keeps you going. It's frustrating, yeah. but you know, I just had a student get really frustrated yesterday, not a remote viewing student. I don't have students in remote viewing, um, a, a student in, in middle school and he was crying because they were learning how to barter and he traded something that was of value, but he didn't realize it. And I was, I was so excited. I said, you learned like, that's the learning process. It hurts, you know, but you'll never do that again. And now you Absolutely. understand and you're so much wiser now. I was able to turn that around. You know, that's what learn, learning is not this peaceful sitting in the lotus position. Like, oh, this is great. It, it hurts, man. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. Sounds, sounds like one of us in our, one of our crypto viewings. Traded something. <laughs> in the- <laughs> Didn't get money for it. True statement. True statement. <laughs> yeah, that happens. It does. It does. We, and we uh, learn from those, don't we? We learn all We certainly do. Yeah. You know, and we have our frustrations and then we, we move on. Um, but that's what's great about, I think, our community is, is how supportive I've noticed everybody is as you're making that honest effort and going through those yeah, hardships. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I think a lot of that is, is the community that you helped to, to build and create as, um, you know, growing. I've gone there for help uh, when I've been freaking out. Um, you know, Edward made fun of me, but everybody else, uh, everybody else was very supportive. My kid, Edward's awesome. But um, it, it's, it's a, a really... A great nod to you, Daz, on, on what you've there, contributed. It? It has yeah, been a bit, you know, on it's like everything social media and everything sometimes can be a bit toxic. You get one person and it could uh upset the apple cart, but generally right. people are there to be supportive and help each other. And, and yeah. that's a good thing, yeah. And, and that, I say that to anybody that's interested in, in taking this journey, you know, even 20 years ago when I, when I first was learning about RV, I thought, like, where am I gonna learn this? Now we have a tool at hand and we have the ability to connect with people who are willing to share and, and teach. And it's not this eclectic group of saying, oh, well, you're not in the club. If you're, no, put, if you're putting in the work, people are going to be there to support you. That's the key. You just you got to put in the work. Yeah. Anyone who's interested, come along to any of the social places like Facebook and stuff. Say hi. Facebook or Reddit. Reddit's got, Reddit's got a huge expanding community of over... 40 40,000 people using that or something yeah that's a big one i'll have links uh in the show notes for anybody interested in learning more and connecting with with the rv community if that's a journey that you feel called to and it's not for everybody but all right Daz. well hey it, it's been uh it's been a great pleasure having you uh on the show once again so uh, did we do final thoughts anything else you want to leave us with Daz? 
No, just watch this space really. There's still always more to come. You know, the world's changing so fast. Uh, I think we're yeah. I think we're on the cusp of some um, some amazing revelations over the next. I wouldn't say a year or two, but you know, five, one, two, three, four, five years. I'd say we're going to know a hell of a lot more. That's a common uh, time frame for a lot of things going on right now, and I'll leave it at that. You know, the, the last point I want to make. I, I feel like Colombo now. I'm trying to to end it, but last point I want to make. You know, in looking at this defense system that they have on the moon, the psychic defense system, and the way they can influence thought and, and things of that nature. I think corroborates slightly, you know, what David Icke talks about the Saturn moon matrix and how there's some kind of signal that's coming from Saturn to the moon and amplified towards earth, which impacts our own psychic abilities, according to David Icke. And I know that's yeah. a controversial guy sometimes, but um, I think there's some value in, in exploring that. So. Oh yeah. There's definitely uh, there's definitely some, you know, some suppression of psychic abilities in, in humans. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel it from time to time. I definitely feel it. So, all right, let's let's end on that because that's a whole other conversation we could go down. So, Daz, thank again. you so very much. Yeah, we we certainly will. Um, so, find Daz at remoteview.com. Check out the uh, magazine Eight Martinis. If you have an opportunity, he's got a, a support button there. Throw him, uh, you know, a donation if you can because he's doing all of this out of pocket and any little bit helps Daz to keep this going. You know, he, he does all this work on his own time. So, um, please support his work if it's. Uh, well worth the investment in my opinion to support the things that Daz does uh, and I'm Dennis Nappy the second this has been another episode of the Seeker Podcast where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world I encourage you to be that change never stop questioning keep an open mind and let your intuition be your guide thank you you put in a teapot it becomes the teapot now water can flow how it can crash be water, my friend. Be water, my friend. Be Water, my friend, my friend.